Hey everyone, and welcome to the Social Sport Podcast, where we explore the connection between endurance sports and social change. I'm your host, Emma Zimmerman, and this show is a member of the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. The guests on this show are climate change activists, mental health advocates, promoters of more inclusive outdoor spaces, and much more. Each of them are committed to exploring the connection between endurance sports and social change in their lives. Today on Social Sport, I'm joined by Tom O'Keefe, a social impact entrepreneur who is most known as at Boston Tweet. He is the face behind the viral Boston Twitter account that he started to build awareness for local businesses during the 2008 recession. Since then, Tom has grown and expanded as a social impact entrepreneur, leading multiple nonprofits, one of which is Stride for Stride. In this episode, we talk mainly about Stride for Stride, a nonprofit running organization that buys race bibs for immigrant, BIPOC, and low-income runners. Tom and his team are setting a model for what a more accessible and diverse running community could look like. I want to quickly acknowledge the bit of background noise that you might notice in this conversation. This episode, like most episodes of Social Sport, was recorded over Zoom, and sometimes that means the sound quality is less than perfect, so wanted to give you a heads up, but it's not bad at all, and it certainly does not take away from Tom's incredible work and his incredible words. So without further ado, Tom O'Keefe of Stride for Stride. Hey, Tom, welcome to the Social Sport Podcast. How are you doing out there in Boston this morning? I'm great, Emma. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to chat. I am too. So can you tell everyone who you are? I said you were in Boston, but where exactly you are right now and what you're passionate about. Yeah, I'm um, Tom O'Keefe. I'm in Brookline, Mass., which is actually uh, right about a mile or two outside of Boston. If you're familiar with Boston, it's actually surrounded by Boston. Um, Brookline, Boston annexed a lot of places, a lot of towns in the area years ago. And Brookline was the one that said, no, we don't want any part of you, Boston. So we're (laughs) surrounded by Boston, but we're actually not Boston. So... Cool, cool. And you're passionate about? Uh, running. Yeah. Running is my thing that keeps me active, especially during a pandemic and kept my mind off things. And, uh, and I've been an avid runner for a number of years now. But uh, that and, and kind of the charitable space, um, I started a thing called Boston Tweet about 13 years ago, and it kind of got me more involved in charities than I ever was. So a lot of people know you by that, you know, originally Twitter account, Boston Tweet, and you've been described by the Boston Globe as having a, quote, Kardashian-like status. Uh, But from what I gather, being an influencer is far from the reason you started Boston Tweet. What was on your mind in 2008 when you started it? Um, Yeah, I don't know if I've actually seen that Boston Globe article. Um, (laughs) It exists, I promise. Didn't make it up. I will look it up. That was probably a while ago, though. Boston Tweet was definitely uh, kind of a larger audience uh, back then. Uh, I started in 2008, Boston Tweet, and I've been in a startup, internet startup space for since 02 or so. So, and very unsuccessfully for those six or seven years. And in 08, if you remember, the, the, the recession was going on, the economy crashed, and I started this Boston Tweet November 21st, 2008 actually. Um, and Lehman Brothers had crashed, the markets were crashing, I was on my own, and I was, you know, couldn't get a job, and things were scary. So 
Twitter was actually new. So at that time, there was not a thing called influencers, or at least not the mm-hmm. term, the online version, um, uh, which was probably better for the best back then. And so it was just a way for me to create awareness for local restaurants and bars in the area. You know, I was a single guy in the city and wanted to make sure that restaurants still had people going to them and still aware of, um, you know, that these local businesses existed. My fear in 08 was that it would be 1929 all over again, and waiting in line for food and stuff. So, you know, Boston and probably Boston is such a diverse uh, economy that I don't, it, we didn't really feel that part of an impact back then. But Boston Tweet had started in, in that way to just promote other businesses. So it was never about promoting me, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think influencers might be a little bit more about that. But unbeknownst to me, though, it became bigger and bigger and kept growing. And probably when the Globe called me Kardashian, it was probably like 12, 13 or something in those years uh, when it was really big. And it was kind of insane because it was, you know, able to influence what was in things like the globe mm-hmm. and people at that time was new now 13 years later it's like yeah the, of course we all know this but back then it was pretty amazing to see like these people on twitter reporting the boston marathon bombing the first place that it was reported was on twitter and sort of getting the news out things like that and uh, you know it's, it has grown now to about 300,000 people in the city of boston and um you know, it's great. We've all aged 13 years since then. So, you know, back in those days, it was kind of earlier, younger things to do in a city on the cheap. Back in the early, a lot of my followers are early 20s, college age. Um, you know, now everyone is mid 30s or so. But well, I think uh, we've aged, I think we've aged 13 years in the past, like two years. So I think we've probably aged like, yeah, it's been I don't a, know. really an amazing couple of years. So, <laughs> and not in a necessary good way. So, I mean, you were sharing so much info, you still are, but on the onset, so much info on Boston events and local businesses. What did that day-to-day process look like at the beginning of both compiling and then tweeting out all of this information? You know, back then it was a, it was a full-time job of just, it was all very, very new to me and new to most people at that time, early 2010s. And just non-stop researching and seeing what's going on in the city, running around the city. Like that's where the running, my running component came in well and biking around the city and just covering a lot of ground. And, and Boston's actually pretty small, obviously compared to New York. Like if I did something similar to New York, it'd probably be Upper East Side between 60 and 70 streets mm-hmm. tweet. Uh, but Boston's small. So I was able to traverse around the entire city and kind of report what's going on and be on the foot. And, you know, that was a time that if you, if, time when iPhones were really just starting to come out, 09, 10, 11. Uh, so it was sort of this having a computer with me at all times, which was very new. Obviously, now it doesn't seem so much, but uh, it got me in front of a lot of people in the city of Boston, from from students to professors to the mayor to governor, um, everyone in between. It also got me very heavily involved with charities and, you know, able to give them a voice in the city, um, you know, especially with the younger demographic at that time, you know, maybe you couldn't donate, but you could donate your time, volunteer. And, and it, it started what got me really heavily involved in charities and thinking more on a charitable side of things. Mm. Everything has sort of started from Boston Tweet and it's, it's as a result of that. There's, I have a love-hate relationship with Boston Tweet, but okay. it, it's, but it has afforded me a lot of things. Actually, the reason I met my wife, uh, so that's a plus. 
So I was going to ask about that. You just got married, right? Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. June, June 6th. I should remember that okay. date. Um, yeah, we got married in uh, Martha's Vineyard right outside of Massachusetts. And um, uh, it was great. But I met my wife. She recognized me uh, from Twitter, actually. And she stopped me on the street. and We started chatting and then started dating. And then six years now, later, we got married. So for five years. That's an incredible she, she story. That's an incredible story. And would you usually talk to people who recognized you on the street? Because I oh, think yeah. it sounds like, a, oh, you would. Okay. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I don't know if you do that in New York as much, but Boston is, I think, a much smaller, and especially our sort of uh, tech scene, social media scene, especially back in those years. Um, it was very small. And it was the best part about doing Boston Tweet. It is such a regionally focused that I was able to meet so many people in the city mm -hmm. because of it there was a point where I'd walk down the street and talk to like 10 people on a few blocks. And it was the best part about it. And one of them happened to be my wife. So that says so much about your character, I think, because I don't know if I was recognized on the street, if I, you know, had that presence. And I think a lot of people would agree with this. I can't imagine what I would do if I would get overwhelmed by it, or if I would be stopping, you know, to talk to the 10 people who recognize me. I'm sure that was overwhelming often. Yeah, it takes a little, I was kind of, you could probably say it was almost like a, I was an only child and kind of a, maybe even a hermit before then. So Boston Tweet got me out of my shell. So mm -hmm. it wasn't something day one. It sort of had to, I think, evolved over a little bit, a couple of years for me to get to that point. But once I adopted it, I was like, yeah, this is amazing. There's some just really great people here. I've never had scary incidents, you know. Um, it's probably a little different for me than a then a female might have to be a little sure. more protective. Um, but also the messages I put out on my social feed are all positive. They're all about um, promoting local business, promoting charities. I've never bashed any business on my account because it's always about promoting during the recession. Mm -hmm. So I think the message you put out also dictates the messages and the replies you get back, whether it's in real life or not. So if I'm bashing someone you know, on, on social media or on Twitter and someone sees me in person, they might be kind of aggressive with me. So. Um, sure. But it's it's tough to be aggressive with you when you know we've raised ten thousand dollars for a local women's charity or something. For sure. So you mentioned that you were running around a lot, literally running when you first started Boston Tweet to really get to know these places and businesses. Had you been a runner for a long time beforehand? Uh, as a form of. Uh, fitness so not in races which mm -hmm. totally changed i didn't start running races until 2014 so it was different you know before then it was one running was sort of a form of transportation and it was a form of exercise but it didn't really have purpose to me uh not until 2014 new balance who's someone i've worked with with boston tweet since 2014 um said, you know, we have a bid for Falmouth Road Race. Would you want to run the race? And I was like, I've never ran a race before. I've never ran like track or cross country in school. But I'm like, yeah, let's try it. I ran Falmouth. I don't know if you've ever ran Falmouth before. Um, it's one of the best races yeah. in the country. The crowd support, the, the number of runners. And I was hooked. So at that time is when my running had purpose. I was like, okay, now I'm training for a race. And something like Falmouth and Boston Marathon and different races that came up, this running takes on a whole different meaning. It's not trudging through, you know, a mile or two just to have um, to try and stay in shape. Now it's running 13 miles uh, to train for a half marathon or Boston Marathon. So 
um, that changed everything for me. Do you think it was pretty instantaneous where you're like this running is a completely different thing? Oh yeah. Oh, by far. Falmouth has 10,000 runners on non COVID years Mm -hmm. and, um, thousands and thousands of spectators. Uh, I, there, Boston Marathon is the only race I've seen with more spectators in Falmouth. And it's, you feel like a rock star. I mean, you've ran races, you know, you, when people are cheering for you, you're on top of the yeah. world. And it's like nothing you've ever felt before, especially your first time. Um, you know, we, a couple of our stride runners ran Falmouth for the first time ever this year. And they said that was life changing. It was just anything beyond anything they could ever felt before. So with me, it was instantaneous. I was hooked. I was looking up every race that I could run after that race in, in August, 2014. So. Yeah. And eventually, I mean, that running became very intertwined with Boston tweet, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but I'm curious when you made this transition from you were, well, you were the guy behind the screen. Of course you were also, you know, talking to people in real life. It wasn't like you were just the guy behind the screen, but you were tweeting about small businesses and then you became a real life social impact entrepreneur when did that transition happen or when did you start bringing the work you were doing on the screen into this really in-person charity work? So I would help support via getting the messaging out to mm-hmm. a lot of the charities from probably 2010 to 2015, mm-hmm. um, Pine Street Inn and Rosie's Place and uh, uh, More Than Words and all these kind of Boston-based charities that you know have someone with 300,000 people following them in the city is a huge plus or a huge impetus for them uh, to get donations or sell books, whatever it might be in their charity. Um, so that was kind of early on that I really started helping them with a voice. Uh, 2015, I also created a charitable company called Flutter, which helped raise mostly Boston based because it's my hometown, um, help raise them money via uh, we kind of gave away Red Sox tickets, Pats tickets, things Bostonians like and most of the other country mm-hmm. probably don't. Uh, <laughs> and uh, for a $10 donation to Rosie's Place, which is a woman's shelter here in Boston. So that really started getting into my entrepreneurial, social impact entrepreneur stuff of you know creating ideas or companies that help, that have a charitable impact to them, or at least a social impact making lives better. So, um, but it took those, it took those five years before then of doing a lot of work with charities to kind of, realize one realize that charities are just as entrepreneurial as a internet startup um mm. you know they're just as creative there's some amazing ideas in the charitable space and social impact space just their kind of their purpose their reasoning for starting is different their exit strategy is different you know charities usually don't have an exit strategy or goal is just to help others whereas you know tech companies are a little more uh, mercenary and trying to make money but uh they're just as entrepreneurial so that gave me the impetus to kind of start Flutter and then eventually started um, um, Stride for Stride and Heart to Cart and various other things. So That's a really interesting frame of mind because I think we often stray from thinking of nonprofits, charities as entrepreneurial. I, there's a bit of a disconnect there. I don't yeah, hear totally. those words together often. Have you found there to be uh, many positives or has it helped you to think of your nonprofit work in that entrepreneurial frame? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, before then, I've created five internet startups before doing a charity side. Um, but uh, yeah, you just has, they're just as creative. They're both about finding a niche. And, you know, a charity is a little bit finding a place where 
there's a need or kind of a social good, entrepreneurs or internet startups typically are trying to find a niche within technology or something, but they're both the same mindset in my mind. Um, you know, I'm just not looking to sell it for a billion dollars to, to Google. Um, so, but they're just as creative. There's, you know, some amazing startups over the years. I think it was called the Empowerment Fund. It's not around anymore, but it's, you know, provided uh, stipends to people that have free internships because a free internship obviously benefits those who have the money to be able to do a free internship. And so if you don't have the money to do that, you can't get these opportunities. So they basically just provided a scholarship to, for the most part, people of color and lower income people to uh, have these scholars to do these internships and pay them a salary to go. So um, just an amazing concept that uh, I think takes some knowledge and creativity to, uh, see that that isn't there and needs to be exist. So flash forward to 2018, you took that entrepreneurial social impact mindset and used it to start Stride for Stride. Tell us about your inspiration behind Stride for Stride and its mission. Yeah, Stride for Stride. Well, simply we buy race bibs for immigrants, uh, people of color and low income runners. Our goal is to make races more accessible and more diverse. And a lot of it stems back from that first Falmouth race that I had uh, in 2014. You know, that, that bib was gifted to me. So if I was never given that bib, I may have never started running and may have never seen the positive impacts that running can do, both for health and also for my mental state of well-being. And, you know, after then being hooked and starting to run other races on my own and, and paying for Boston Marathon, I realized, wow, these races are pretty darn expensive. Uh, You know, that first one was free. So I never really understood that. But then also getting to the races and looking around seeing, okay, you know, there's a lot of people that look like me at these races. I'm a white male and, um, you know, there's not very diverse. Falmouth especially is not a diverse race. It's very, you have to live in the city of Falmouth to actually get in, or you have to be able to afford to stay a couple nights on Cape Cod to get into the race, which is very expensive places to live. So I was like, okay, there's got to be a bunch of other runners um, from different countries, different backgrounds uh, that are really good runners. It can't just be kind of all these white guys and girls running. So it took a few years for me to get to that point and saying, how can I help increase diversity in races, get more people of color running races, and also accessibility, make it easier for them to do so. And yeah. came up with a couple way too complicated ideas um and then actually on a road trip in california and reading blake mccoskey's book uh start something that matters really gave me the idea to just create it very simple and just buy race bibs for people that can't afford to get into running and uh so in september 18 strike for stride the idea started i started Know, putting together a logo, the idea, the mission statement, and then we officially launched in November 2018. And um, it was born. It took a few months to get our yeah. first runner, which was quite scary. Um, but then once we got our first runner, we really started slowly building and snowballing. And then the last four or five months, we've been growing like crazy, uh, which has just been amazing. So. Well, it's so amazing. And congratulations on all that you've grown. But you started to talk a little bit about those barriers. And I mean, I think it's this age old thing. People always say like running is so accessible. All you need is shoes. And I think now a lot of people would laugh at that. We know better, hopefully. 
I mean, you talk about this financial barrier. It's so expensive to pay the race fee, to pay for travel and hotel room for a race. But I think there's also, which you touched on, this psychological barrier of not seeing yourself represented at the race. In the work that you've done now with making races more accessible, how often do you see that financial barrier being the big impediment? How often do you see that psychological barrier? And how often is it just a big combination? I think mostly for our runners, it's the financial barrier to run mm-hmm. a race. Like we mentioned, New York City's 300 blocks, Boston's 350 to get in. That's been the biggest barrier. Our runners are amazing people. They love to compete. They love to be there. They, they're not hesitant whatsoever um, to run these races. There's yeah. no holding their head down saying we don't belong here. They know they freaking belong there. And, you know, the best thing about Strike for Strike gets into the starting line. And, you know, some of our runners really struggled last year during the pandemic because a lot of our service industries work in restaurants, work in hotels and, um, you know, lost their jobs. And we had to support them with uh, supermarket gift cards to help them eat. But they're not shy. And when they get to that starting line, they can beat that multimillionaire standing yeah. next to them. And it's kind of the best part. As long as we can help them get to that starting line, they can win. And if they win, that's freaking awesome. You know, it gives them that just emotional rush to know that they're worth it. They belong there and that they're, they beat, they beat the CEO in a race, you know? Um, and like I said, you know, one of our guys from Mexico, Eduardo Falmouth road race was his first official race. We ran, he joined us in 2020 and we ran sort of virtual races, but that doesn't count. Falmouth was first race. And he's like that, that race changed my life. And he said that at the end of the race, you know, at the finish line, because he accomplished it. Uh, he didn't give up. He seven miles. You know, he trained for it, and he's like, it was life changing. It's like nothing I've ever experienced before, and and that just transcends into his work and makes him happier, mm-hmm. and and it gives him something to look forward to. You know, if you're in a kind of a tough job, you know, where you may be treated like crap if you're working at a, a you know a service industry like a takeout place or food place or or anywhere, and but you have to look forward to like, okay, on Sunday I'm running a race, and Sunday I'm going to be the hero of that race because I'm fast enough to compete with everyone else. Um, that's going to get me through this week. If, you know, if, if the weeks are tough to get through. And so it, it's totally life changing, but, but my team has, they are not shy about running races and they run a lot of races. And, you know, this year we have, you know, New York marathon and uh, Boston marathon, Miami marathon, Philadelphia. We have a bunch of half marathons. Uh, we're, we're now in, Los Angeles, Texas, uh, New York metro area, and Miami, of course, Boston. So we have tons of races going on. It's just uh, we've been growing like crazy. And and we represent every country in Central America, um, countries in North and South America, like Venezuela and and Brazil. We are Dominican Republic and and, um, Cuba and Jamaica and Puerto Rico and uh, even Nigeria. So... We're about 15 countries represented in our team. So it's pretty awesome. I love that image you drew of one of your runners beside, you know, a multi-million dollar CEO. And that's kind of one of the coolest things about road races, in my opinion, is the fact that there are so many different people from walks of life who, I mean, it's less accessible for some as you're talking about, but ideally we can have so many different people who are going towards this same feat. and can be, I think the word you used was that hero for themselves in some way. It's a really unique environment. 
Yeah, races, I, they're kind of the only sport, and correct me if I'm wrong, where you're running with the best, the professionals, the best of the yeah. best. You know, Meb and Shalane, and there's no other sport. You can't play football with Tom Brady or, um, of course, I'm focusing on Boston sports, but there's no other sport where you're competing with them. And, you know, you could conceivably beat them. Of course, there's different start times. But you're running the same race with them, and it's amazing. And, you know, you could run. I do love you know, the, the inequity and doing some research on wage inequity and CEO makes 258 times what the average employee makes, um, which is awful. But uh, if those two guys ran the race, you know, that that employee could, could beat the CEO. And how, how empowering is that? Yeah. And just sort of like, you know, in your face. Um, and that's the empowerment that we try to give our team and runners to just run, um, you know, be that hero that day and run that race. And, and it, you know, it changes their whole life too, because they have to prepare for that race, train for the race, eat healthy, you know, stay sort of clean. And, um, and then it just transcends beyond that race day. So it's strive for stride has been much, much bigger emotionally for me and my team than I ever expected it to be. So. Yeah. I won't cut you down too much for all the Boston sports references, specifically the <laughs> Patriots ones. Even though there's so much I could say, I won't. I'll restrain myself. I, I I don't really – I'm not a fanatical fan. It's just – it's all over. It's everywhere here. And I actually grew up in New York, so I am familiar with growing up with the Yankees and, and Giants and stuff. I grew up in Poughkeepsie. So oh. you know, not quite not quite New York City, but uh, it's in the state there. But uh, my dad's from Brooklyn, as I mentioned. But uh, yeah, it's kind of all I know. And, and uh, I mentioned Tom I just gained Brady. so retired. much more res- – I already respected you very much, but I just gained much more respect for you. Because I'm from Poughkeepsie? Well, because yeah, because you're They've from you've the New York area and also <laughs> because you're not a diehard Boston sports fan. Yeah, true. <laughs> so you focus, as you mentioned, you focus a lot on immigrants. A lot of your runners are immigrants. Why this specific focus in Stride for Stride? Yeah, uh, we have roughly 60 runners. Uh, all but two are immigrants from outside the United States. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just sort of caught a nerve with the immigrant community and it's not, um, you know, it's not something I said, okay, it's only this group. You know, I actually started, I contact a lot of the black running organizations and, you know, I thought maybe it would be much more received with kind of inner city groups and, uh, Baltimore has a couple of great, uh, inner city running organizations. Boston has, um, pioneers is a great group. Yes, here. Yeah. Sid is a, um, Sid Batista yeah. was on this podcast. Oh, was he? Founder yeah. Of pioneers. He, yeah. Awesome. He's group. awesome. He's awesome. We, he's, I've actually never met him in person, but we, we know tons of the same people and mm-hmm. I have tons of respect for pioneer. Um, and Stryfer Stride's not trying to be a run club that competes with, uh, pioneers or black men run, um, Latinos run as someone that we support too. Dominican runners, uh, which is a running group in, um, in, in New York city, Queens, I think. And, um, and not trying to compete with them. We just want to sponsor anyone from those groups that want to run a race and can't afford to do so. We will sponsor you. So we, we want to support the run groups, but, uh, yeah. And so we reached out to sort of the, um, groups in the early days. And I think they said, you know, you're crazy. You're like, why would you want to pay for a bib? And I think it's been a little more of a challenge for us um, to kind of get in a black running community and and to get their trust and, and and support. And that's fine if it takes two, three, four, five years. We'll we'll register anyone that wants to run a race that can. Um, in Boston, I did. I was running with a guy named Estrado in Boston back in um, with the Heartbreak Running Club here and and 
in Boston Newton area. And so I started with him and he was one of the, I told him about Stride for Stride and he's like, would you ever consider sponsoring me? I'm like, yes, of course. And so I kind of call him Abraham because everyone sort of is a descendant of Estrado. And because he invited his friends, he's from Guatemala. He invited a few friends, Jess and Doug from Guatemala um, that he grew up with and knows. He, they joined our team and then they invited various friends. So it sort of, it spread from that one person that trusted me uh, in the immigrant community, Latino community, and then grew from there. And, you know, we have, we've had a team almost from day one from Nicaragua and, and Miami who are from Nicaragua, but they, they ran back home in Nicaragua with a couple of our runners here in Boston. So our Boston, our Boston team told them about it and they joined us and that's sort of how it spread. And, and we actually now sponsor a team in the country of Nicaragua, uh, which is because of, uh, you know, the group here in Miami. So, so it's been spreading by more word of mouth and, and trust. And, you know, cause I think at first people are like, you're going to pay for my bid. Why would mm. you do that? Uh, so we're still, you know, we're only three years old now with a kind of a, a year break last year and so we're still just building that trust which i think it takes time to build a trust uh, that's such an important word trust and i think it's so important that you're thinking of it i mean because of course you are a white dude and you have this yeah, group that is largely exactly. immigrant focused what are some ways in which you have built that trust or is there anything that you continually think about to help you build that trust in general uh i think just really getting to know my teammates personally builds that trust you know we had a we had a retreat last month in falmouth for the falmouth road race and you know it comes back to sort of the accessibility of that race i put my team up for two nights down in falmouth at this uh auto camp um in falmouth which is actually awesome they're airstreams that you can rent out and um and it was an amazing bonding experience. We spent two nights together and just hanging out by the campfire and talking. And, you know, my Spanish was getting a little bit better and just having fun. And so we became family that weekend and and, and then created a much, much stronger bond. So, and that's the case every time that I run with someone, you know, I ran with Estuardo and Carlos last weekend. And every time you want to race together, your bond and your friendship gets a little bit stronger and stronger. And, you know, we didn't have that in 2020. We had a whole year off. We did one virtual race together, but for the most part, we didn't run at all in 2020. And so we were still quite distant. We, we communicate a lot, uh, Instagram and email and stuff, but it wasn't quite the same. So you know, my goal is to really build that bond. And that's why I desperately wanted to go to New York City Marathon mm. and meet everyone that's running there and, and run with uh, the Dominican Runners, which is the name of their running group, Dominican Runners, um, to run with that group, to build that trust and bond with them. You know, we have 10 people running the Miami Marathon in February. So I'm going down there and running the race with them. And, you know, a couple of those runners have been on our team for a few years and I haven't met them yet. So I think it's extremely important to make that physical connection uh, which builds that trust, you know, when I'm reaching out as a new person saying, you know, we'll sponsor you, but they don't really know us and it's over a direct message or something, you know, there, there's rightfully so some hesitancy on who we are and, and that will take time for us to build a bigger name and, um, and for people to know and trust us that, you know, we're actually here to sponsor you. And, and I've seen it grow in New York city. Our growth in New York city is, you know, we're probably, 20, 25 runners now in New York City, and we only were about four at the beginning of this year. So we've, we've really started to grow in New York City, which is extremely yeah. exciting. So It is exciting. 
And I think there really is nothing like that race setting, even like a long run setting for building that building that friendship. It's something unique for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Post-race are talking about our scores and, and, you know, last week it was so great. And Carlos Andrado was just, you know, talking about their numbers and, you know, Carlos came in 17th place overall. I'm super excited just to know, to quantify that. They've never had that, but a long run too. You run 20 miles together. That's a huge experience together and you're exhausted and it's, it's an amazing bonding experience. And with that, we'll take time. And now that I can travel more and, and meet our team throughout the country, I'm very excited to do so and really create that personal bond. So so your work with Stride for Stride, it goes beyond running. You have the Heart to Cart program, which buys supermarket gift cards for your own runners. And I also believe it's for low-income families that aren't necessarily runner connected. Was it always your intention to focus beyond running and move to food access and just look at a more holistic approach to inequity? Or how did that no. grow, if not? Yeah, not at all. It was always about buying race bids for low-income runners. That was the original goal. And that's all I thought it was. Even back in the early days, I didn't even think we'd become a community. I thought, you know, maybe just help this person, that person uh, to get into race. Didn't think it would become a community. And, you know, we created a logo that's a pretty bold logo. It's an equal sign. It's all about creating an equal opportunity. But it stands out in a race. Um so that helps a lot for us to sort of recognize each other at a race and, and sort of bond. But no, it was very simple. And then it grew during the pandemic. You know, I was trying to sort of fundraise and get people excited about Stripe for Stride. But March, April during a pandemic, you know, that was not the concern. A lot of people on my team's concern was where the hell are they going to get food because they're out of work and out of the job. So I created Heart to Cart simply just by supermarket gift cards. Uh, $100 gift cards for people that were struggling. And it started with a couple members of our team. And then he, this, he in particular would say, uh, you know, I have a family, friends, can you buy a car for them? And I'm like, yes, of course. And then it built to the community. So basically heart to cart supports in the Boston area. We focus on Boston because buying actually supermarket gift cards is a bit challenging when you buy like $20,000 worth of cards. There's a lot of suspicion <laughs> when you go to the grocery store. So we focus just on the North Shore Boston communities, which are the heavy Latino communities and a lot of our runners are from, which are Chelsea, Revere, East Boston, and Lynn. Um, and it's served mostly by uh, a local brochure called Market Basket. And uh, uh, we buy $100 gift cards. And, and since last year, we've, we've donated $60,000 in gift cards uh, to our runners and to their friends and families and to their communities, um, especially Chelsea, which is about 65% Latino population in Chelsea. Most are service industry workers and most lost their jobs last year. Uh, They had a really difficult time last year because most live in multi-generational housing. So COVID was rampant. And uh, so we spent most of our efforts in helping uh, people within Chelsea. So it was a great program that we still do today. And uh, we're actually going to have a huge drive in Thanksgiving and Christmas to give people, you know, happy holidays. And, but I never expected that, uh, to come about. And I think going forward, Stride for Stride will probably, uh, invest in community running centers. And wow. one, one Nicaragua, we have, we have a team in Nicaragua. We actually sponsored a guy who went to, uh, the Tokyo Olympics, wow. uh, for the hundred meter, but just create a safe community for the runners to meet before and after, uh, for them to get a meal because the ability to get a meal is challenging uh, for them to be able to pick up vitamins. Uh, we don't really think of it here, but one of the most important thing in Nicaragua 
and a lot of those countries, Guatemala and Honduras and stuff, are vitamins because they just don't get enough nutrients in their food. And a lot of these endurance runners, you know, we have a couple runners that are 230 marathoners uh, that have to work and don't have proper proper uh, a diet. And so they will bonk, you know, they won't be able to run the entire race, but they're running a 230 marathon. Imagine what they would do if they had a little better support behind them, a little more training. And, you know, and of course we buy them clothes and gear and you know, mostly shoes. So that's my ultimate goal. We'd be able to start something like that mm -hmm. in Nicaragua, but also here in Boston, we, um, we work with uh, a friend of mine, Brian, who is a chiropractor, a sports, a sports therapist guy. And just to, you know, give them a tune up um, for some injuries they have and uh, to be able to offer that service. So I'd love to start a community running center here where we can, one, provide physical therapy for one the team, a place to meet uh, for a safe running community. Um, uh, you know, we, I live actually on the Boston Marathon course here in Brookline and be able to run out to the Newton Heartbreak Hill and stuff uh, is an incredible experience. But also additional things, you know, ESL lessons, citizenship advice uh there's a great charity here in boston that provides uh free legal advice for uh to become a u.s citizen even just um you know housing advice because uh, evictions are a huge problem here uh, not here they're a huge problem in the country and just that legal advice on what your rights are so a whole community of effort but also a place for people you know like me that grew up in the united states to learn about these different cultures mm. and you know it's so important if you don't know someone that's from Guatemala or Nicaragua, it's kind of easy to just write them off. But once you know them, you know, someone like an Eduardo or a Suardo or a Calaman, once you've grown to know them and know their families, you can't help but love them and love their culture and who they are and, and know that our country is better off because of them here and, and to support them in every way possible. So it's important for, you know, people, white guys and white girls to, to, learn their story and their struggles that they they had to get to this country and and why they're you know at times you're like why did you you know there's so much troubles going on in, in the united states but you're still so excited to be here um you know what keeps you going what why did you come here in the beginning you know in most of our dreams they never dreamed of being able to come to the united states first off but never dreamed of running the boston marathon at new york city marathon you know that was just not even a a realistic idea when they were trying to get to this country so it kind of puts our own it puts our own life in perspective and how you know even though with all the political issues that are going on in this country it's still you know a wonderful place to be so. i love hearing you talk about all these like goals and dreams you have for stride for stride because you can kind of tell how your brain works and how inclined you are to keep moving and adapting and expanding as you see the needs of this community you know you moving you're moving to or you want to at least like this community center to ESL classes to to legal uh services so i'm curious because I'm, I'm sure it sounds like you are always thinking and learning and adapting. What is the biggest lesson that you personally have learned throughout your time with Stride for Stride? Biggest lesson is, well, one, starting a company or starting a company or a charity, whatever it is, to kind of start small. You never going to realize where it's going to take you. Like I never thought of you know, offering ESL services or legal services. Uh, that was never on my goal but it kind of to just let something grow and let you open to you know going beyond where you originally thought it was going to be you can't just be trapped in there like this is all we do you know there's opportunities 
good or bad that arise that you got to adapt to. And the pandemic was a huge one of being like, okay, running is not important now. We got to get you food. But me as a person, um, just becoming very good friends and, and family with the, the runners on our team has changed my life um, more than I ever, ever expected to be. I never expected to be. And, and just to know, you know, I'm extremely fortunate. I had a great upbringing, college education, uh, to just know how fortunate I have been. And, um, but just to learn from these people that uh, dearly love this country. And at times, I'm curious why. You know, mm. I don't even know if I do at times. Um, but, you know, to just learn from them and, and to learn that, you know, how happy they are in life. No one, no one complains on our team. No one's talking about, you know, not making enough money or anything. Um, you know, I think that's people that make six figures complain that they're not making seven figures. Like these guys are making you know, very low wages and they never complain. They're always happy. And it's just, it's an amazing lesson to just see what's really important in life. And for them, family is everything to them. Um, religion is very important to them. And, um, you know, just sort of being in a moment and being happy. And it's, it's, it's a huge lesson to know what's important and everything else is sort of extra crap that we probably don't need. So. Yeah. So from working with so many people for whom the running community isn't always accessible, is there anything that you wish the rest of the running community was doing to make the sport more accessible? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Of course, you could always support Strive for Stride and we help get more runners in or, or recommend people to Strive for Stride. And so how can people do that? Just so people know if they want to support or, you yeah, know, well, strive, for, strive for Stride.com. Uh, is where we are. You can also text STRIDE to 44321 and it'll bring up information about our site and you can also donate via Apple Pay, Google Pay. Um, but there's, you know, even if you know a runner that can't afford a race, just kind of buy the race bibs for them. You know, it's probably a little more challenging with runner. Runners, like heart to cardio, always say, please copy it. Um, just do it in every community because it's so easy. You can buy a $100 gift card and just, I'm sure you know someone that is in need of uh, some food assistance and you can do that anywhere. And I've begged people to just copy what I've done in other cities because it's really difficult for me to be able to do that in New York city or anywhere else. Um, again, buying gift cards is a bit of a challenge, <laughs> but, uh, you know, strive for stride is something that we're have runners across the country now. And my hope is that we'll continue to grow bigger and bigger and, and be able to support runners throughout the country. And that's kind of somewhat easy for us to do. We've gotten pretty good at, you know, buying bibs, um, which depending on the platform is either a challenge or easy. But there's, I'm sure there's someone to just get people running or ask someone to go for a run with you. And, you know, that's kind of how it started. But Estrada was, he and I ran together during the run clubs and just getting to know him and um, learning his background, where he was from. He's from Guatemala and uh, um, just getting to know him, just kind of being opening up. Mm. But, you know, running with groups like Pioneers is uh, an amazing start. Like, I know Sid is extremely welcoming to, you know, anyone joining their group. They run here in Boston and Dorchester, uh, but there's there's Latinos run in, in New York and in most other cities. There's black men run in most cities. Uh, there's black black girls run in most cities. Like amazing organizations, and um, you know, just to sort of maybe introduce you to them, go for a run with them, and and learn who they are, and you know, different cultures and different backgrounds. So. Totally. Yeah. Thanks for all those awesome shout outs. So 
beyond stride for stride, I feel like you have your hands in so many different projects. You also have a social impact video series and you're a runner yourself. You have your own training. You're doing so many things right now. Is there anything on your mind that you're most excited about? Uh, stride for stride. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's my main focus. Yeah. Um, I do, as you mentioned, impact video group, my buddy, Georgie and I, uh, he's a filmmaker and, uh, we are interviewing people that are doing amazing things. that are not necessarily getting attention. You know, kind of a gripe we have is local news focuses on every car accident and fire in the, in the city, but not the people that are making changes and doing well. So we're kind of a, a, a mini documentary company that just focuses on people in Chelsea like Gladys Vega, who's basically mm-hmm. saved the people of Chelsea last year, um, and uh, women of color in technology and, uh, and diversity and various businesses, Newberry Street for one, which is a very high-end street in Boston. So uh, that's really fun, but the Strive for Start is my main goal, and this year especially, it's been so great to get back into this real world of running, um, and just being able to be together and, and being able to have it grow like I had hoped it would back in 2019 and 2018. So it's been very rewarding in the last few months to force drive for stride. So I'm excited to keep growing. And, you know, we unfortunately have to grow a little bit slow. We can't just be a, like a run group and say, you know, all 300 people come in because we have to buy your bids. My, my biggest fear is, you know, people on our team, we can't buy the race you want to race, run. You know, I don't ever want to be like, yeah, we can't afford to buy that race for you at the moment. So, you know, we could probably, we've done a lot with Latinos Run, and um, we've been able to add a lot of great runners with, with their support. But right now, we sort of are at 60 because that's where we can afford to pay for at this moment. You know, we'll get to 100. And we have a sponsorship with REI, who provides grants to us, which has been allowed us to really grow this year. And we have another grant with them next year. So we'll hopefully be able to double, you know, in the next year or so. But we do have to run a little bit slower. Well, I can't wait to watch how it grows. I mean, it's been exciting so far. And as much as you say it has to grow slow, it it seems to me like it's grown really rapidly, knowing that it only started in 2018. But I understand that sentiment of it's not the same as like a running club. And I'm excited yeah, to see what happens yeah, with it. Because we got to pay the, we have to pay the bibs. And, uh, yeah. But uh, like Dominican Runners is a newest club that we added. Um, we're, you know, New York City based, all from Dominican Republic. And, um, you know, we're sponsoring 10 of them to run Miami Marathon. And uh, so it, it's awesome. I'm super excited. And my, my business party, Georgie from Impact Video Group is from the DR. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's super proud of me now for actually having a huge group of Dominican runners. But uh, yeah, New York's been very exciting for us. And there's been a lot of overlap now of runners meeting each other, uh, which is very exciting. And we've, we've been adding a new one know a new runner one or two a week so which is wow. exciting and scary too because again i want to make sure we can afford them so yeah but. so again if anyone listening feels inclined to donate or you know support in any way we'll leave those links in the yeah, show we're, notes we're a nonprofit organization 501c3 everything's tax deductible you know and uh, uh certainly any donation five dollars ten dollars i know you know money is tight for for many yeah. so so as I wrap up, I like to do a few fun rapid fire questions. So we're going to launch into those if you're ready. Okay. Hope so. We'll see. So <laughs> what's your really work that fast? What's your favorite tweet you've sent? 
uh, my favorite, oh my goodness, I've sent 30,000 tweets. So this is gonna, oh, uh, wow. This is supposed to be rapid fire, right? It's okay, it uh, never is. One in, <laughs> one in particular, um, I don't know. I actually, there's so many. It's mm. It's been 13 years. Um, you know, when I first started in the early days, it was definitely wide-eyed, just this amazing new world for me, and everything was amazing. Um, you know, Twitter now for me is very a news-focused platform now to get, um, you know, Instagram is a little more Instagram. Um, Twitter is more on the news side of things. So it's a, it's a little more drier than Instagram, but I, I can't remember a favorite tweet. Like it's just, it's That's it, fine. I'll give you a pass. Knowing the number. Been, it's been an amazing experience of just being able to meet so many people in the city. Um, and, um, I do know, well, I sent one bad tweet. It was, uh, oh, it's a word I messed up and I used to go out a lot and tweet at like one o'clock, two in the morning. And I never messed up. I never stumbled, even though I was yeah. a bit drunk. Um, but there was one tweet I had just total errors everywhere. But I'm sorry, I'll have to pass on that one. Did you no, did you get backlash from that? I'm just curious. No, no, no. It was a uh, suckery, I think I said. My buddy, my, be <laughs> my best friend kept it. And I was like, who the hell did that? Um, no, it was nothing. I'm very PG, so it was nothing okay. ever bad. Um, and it was at two in the morning, too. So, but. Well, Sorry. that's a good answer. I'll take that, that as your favorite tweet or the most, maybe the most, I don't know, like unexpected tweet you've ever yeah. said is what that is. Not a <laughs> rapid a answer. I'll try better. So. <laughs> Do you have a favorite race you've ever run? Uh, well, Falmouth. I mean, it Falmouth's incredible. But Boston Marathon, Falmouth or Boston Marathon. Falmouth is probably better because it's seven miles. Boston Marathon's 26. Mm. Uh, they're both life-changing, unbelievable experiences for me. But Falmouth was the one that changed everything. And if you look at our white singlets, there's a kind of a, a line in, it's an elevation map and it's a Falmouth. So without that Falmouth road race, I probably would never have been a runner in the beginning. To start with, stride for stride, probably would have never started. So it means a lot to me, Falmouth. What is the best thing about Boston? Boston Marathon or the city? Just the city. Uh, I like that it's a really small town. Um, with all the city perks like you know we get all the great music that comes through here and, and theater even though we get second rate Hamilton we don't get the you know the main Broadway cast but uh, you know it's it's a very small we're 600,000 people which compared to New York is nothing um, but it's nice that you can bump into people in the city that you know at all times um, you know that's the kind of things I like about it and it's and it's very walkable obviously uh, it's very important but uh you know, it's a, it's a small town in a big city. I think it's the right cool. way to say it. That's what I like. Do you have a least favorite thing about Boston? Oh, traffic, um, high real estate prices, probably the same problem that you guys have in New York City. Being a pedestrian is, is at times very un unsafe. Uh, we have a lot of fatalities, a lot of car strikes on pedestrians, runners, um, cyclists. Uh, I know you guys have. 10 times more than we have. Uh, that's a dangerous part living in the city. Um, people are not paying attention behind their cars. And, and a lot of pedestrians will jump in, their, in the roads too, but they're not driving a two-time killing machine. So um, yeah, those are three things I'm really passionate about. There's a huge wave of trying to make our city more pedestrian friendly, making streets less, you know, more pedestrian only and slowing traffic down. It's a huge issue, I think, for any city, big city. Yeah. 
No, it's, I mean, I actually lived in Boston for, I had a short, short term position uh, there when I was just out of college. And I remember I would bike from Somerville to Cambridge for work and it was, it was scary. It was, it was scary out there. I mean, New York is too, but Boston was scary. Cambridge is a really good compared to Boston, much better Mm. bike friendly town than, than uh, Boston. They have much better bike lanes. Um, Somerville, I think is a little tighter, but uh, yeah, it's scary, scary bike. So that's, uh, I hate most about it. So valid, and that's why a tra- running issue. You know, I'm, I'm if you've ever ran the Boston Marathon, where there's a carriage lane in Newton, it's very safe. And why, you know, to get cover my team to run that route because it's safer than running uh, in, in sort of these very condensed cities. So. But yeah. housing pri- housing prices here are insane. I know yeah. not, um, it's just. It'll drive a lot of good people out of the city, including myself, that I can't afford to be here anymore. So, totally for sure. Well, on a more positive note, we'll end with <laughs> the question that I ask everyone, and that is, why is sport a powerful platform for social change? Ah, uh, well, with with running, I, it just it brings people together. I think uh, it just creates this community of people from all over the world and. Uh, all different backgrounds and cultures and colors and um, into one. And it just makes us all equal. I mean, you know, when you finish the race, you're high-fiving everyone. That's all you care about is that you ran. and You're just so happy for yourself and for everyone else. There's no other, everything else doesn't matter at that point. You're not thinking about politics or how much money you make or, um, you know, having a bad day. You're having a great day. You finished a race. So it's not to mention, of course, endorphins and just being physically active is is so much better for your well-being, physical and mental well-being. That uh, doing it with ten thousand runners or fifty thousand runners at the New York City Marathon is a life-changing experience, um, and it's just yeah, it changed my life. I think it can change so many other lives. For sure. Thank you. That's a great answer, and thank you for all that you're doing. I think you're really setting this precedent, this model for the rest of the running community and other communities to look up to. So thank you for all that you're doing. I'm really excited to keep watching it grow. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social Sport. Check out the show notes to learn how you can support Stride for Stride. And like Tom said, you can also follow the Stride for Stride and Heart to Cart lead by buying race bibs or grocery store gift cards for runners and other folks in your life who could use them. Thank you, Tom, for all that you do. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this conversation, I would appreciate it if you headed on over to Apple Podcasts, subscribed to Social Sport, and left a rating and a review. One recent review that made my day. It's from Kristen Dornbos, friend of the pod. The title is Should Be Required Listening. I'm so glad to have found this podcast. I learned so much from the guests and Emma does a great job of asking the meaningful questions. Almost any social topic in the running world, you can find an episode discussing it in a way that is helpful, positive, and aimed at creating change in the running community. Thank you so much, Kristen. That is an incredibly kind review, made my day. So please join Kristen's lead, head on over, leave a rating and a review. It really helps us grow the show. And if you want more social sport, follow us on Instagram at socialsportpod, subscribe to the newsletter at socialsport.substack.com. 
share the episode with friends and family, and reach out to let us know what you think. Have a great week, stay sporty, and keep resisting.